Welcome back to Foreign Romance, everyone, with me, your host, Maida Sharifi. In today's episode, we will be discussing Brazil's election results. On Sunday, former leftist president Lula da Silva beat far-right Bolsonaro in the presidential election. Joining me today is Rafael Gracia, Brazilian journalist and a distinguished expert on Brazilian politics and international relations. We will be discussing Lula, Brazil's foreign affairs and more. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure. The first question I have, Mr. Gracia, is following the election results, there was this kind of widespread perception that Brazil is going to be opening a new chapter, a return to democracy, a return to prioritizing the environment, etc. How true is this in reality? Well, uh, it's hard to say, as everything in politics, we just have to wait and see. Uh, Lula is, he was the president before, he was the president for eight years in Brazil, and he led a a fairly democratic government, despite obviously some setbacks and and some minor issues. Uh, So what we expect now is at least a a bit of comeback to that period of uh, economic growth, uh, more freedom, uh, space for people to actually have discussions and disagreements because there was something quite rare during the Bolsonaro government. We still were living in a democracy. After all, he kind of accepted defeat. We had the elections and et cetera. But let's just say that disagreements were not exactly his forte So and of his supporters. We had a lot of political violence during the elections. Supporters of Bolsonaro killed a handful of, of supporters of Lula during the campaign. So uh, there was intimidations, threats, and, and, and et cetera. Uh, in terms of foreign policy, we expect to see uh, alliances being made, uh, the Brazil again being a play in international scenario because it was quite isolated during Bolsonaro, especially when Trump left the government in the US because it was one of the few allies Bolsonaro had. So. Uh, we obviously have to wait and see, but we expect a bit more opening, a bit more dialogue, a bit more Brazil inserted in international discussions and be treated as an equal, not as a pariah. Thank you for explaining that for us. Speaking of the foreign relations, I know under Bolsonaro, we'll start with regional relations in Latin America. They turn quite sour with countries like Cuba and Venezuela which is quite the opposite to how they were under Lula. Can you give us a bit of background on how the relations were with states like Cuba under Lula and whether we'd see something perhaps similar? Well, with Bolsonaro, there was pretty much no relations with Venezuela or Cuba, uh, or Nicaragua for the the matter. Uh, In the case of of Venezuela, there was even some military uh, movements closer to the border a few years ago, some threats even to, to, you know, to invade the country. Uh, the U.S. wasn't very pleased with the government, obviously, and et cetera. So Brazil, with Trump, so Brazil was also uh, uh, giving an aid to the U.S. and the border to pressure the government, and et cetera. Uh, with Lula, obviously, he had good relations. Uh, he's a left-winger, although he's democratic. We know Venezuela is a dictatorship. We know Cuba is a dictatorship. But as they are left-wing dictatorships, Lula obviously, obviously had good relationships. And Lula's foreign policy actually wasn't really interested in democracies or dictatorships. He, he kept good relationships with pretty much everyone. 
one of his uh, policies was to approach to Africa, for instance, uh, many dictatorships in Africa, but his idea was to uh, build relations. So it doesn't matter if they, the ideology they were preaching or if they were democracies or not. Uh, so with Lula now, it's probably that Brazil is going to talk again with Venezuela, is going to talk again with Cuba. Well, the, even the US is talking with Venezuela again after the crisis with the gas in, in Russia. Uh, so kind of uh, I'm probably going to see a comeback to these relations. Uh, so, I, I mean, obviously, from my perspective, as someone who uh, was a scholar in, in, in human rights, I obviously have uh, uh, some issues with Brazil getting too close to Venezuela and to Cuba as their dictatorships, but we're probably going to see, see things coming back to what they were before with Lula. Thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned... Uh the relations he has with different countries, whether they're democratic or dictatorship, and he's often uh, defended that. You now have currently um, the hot topic of the world, Ukraine and Russia. And I know you've um, said before in one of your pieces that Lula is a bit more sympathetic towards President Putin. But in the past, he has played kind of like more mediating roles in other regions of the world. He helped um, broker the Iran nuclear deal, for example, in 2015. Um, where does Lula stand on the Ukraine and Russia war? Because this is something everybody wants to know about when it comes to any president, whether it's in Latin America or Africa or the Middle East. Well, Lula, Lula himself is a kind of funny character because he has one speech tailored for his supporters. And he has one speech tailored for the larger audience. So when when he he uh, says he's going to do A, B, or C to his supporters, not always it is really the case when he actually goes uh, to discuss his foreign policy and really do stuff. Uh, he has, as I said, this this thing of keeping good relationships with everyone. He had he was a good friend of Iran, but at the same time he was able to broker the nuclear deal with Iran and Turkey that the US. Uh, later said he wasn't wasn't good enough and etc. But he broke the deal because he kept good relationships with Iran. That is a dictatorship, and it was actually a very good deal at the time, uh, even better than the one the U.S. broke after <laughs> afterwards. So with Ukraine and Russia, Lula has what we know so far is the speech for his supporters. What he's saying for his supporters that he's more pro-Putin because. Uh, let's just say that the old left in Brazil is quite strong still. There's this whole image of the, the Soviet Union, that Putin is an anti-imperialist, that he goes against the US, so this is necessarily good. Uh, it's something that is very strong within Brazilian left, or actually Latin American left, because we know the history of the US and the region, like they supported pretty much every dictatorship we had here, even Brazilian one. So uh, if someone is against the US, they're good and they are friends. So that's pretty much the same thing that Lula was saying a few months ago. But once he takes office, we're probably going to see something a bit different. He's probably going to try to negotiate with everyone, uh, try to, to find a common ground on the discussions. At least that's what I think it's going to happen based on what he did before. And also we have to take into account the BRICS, you know, Brazil, Russia, China, and South Africa agreement. Uh, Brazil was... The, the one who had the main idea, like Lula was the one who came up with the idea of creating this kind of new non-aligned block 
So he will have to navigate this tension between being a good friend to the US because he wants to, and Biden wants to, and being a good friend to these other like developing powers, developing countries uh, within the BRICS and all the agreements that Brazil is part of. So he will probably try to find a middle, uh, a middle common ground in the, the negotiations. Uh, Zelensky was quick, quick to welcome him to, to the international scenario, like knowing about who Lula is, and he's always a guy trying to make agreements. Yeah, if I may, uh, Lula, Lula is really a guy who knows how to negotiate. Uh, when you look at Brazilian politics, uh, he acts pretty much the same as when he's talking to any foreign dignitary to any foreign country. Uh, he, he goes behind closed doors, negotiates, and he always breaks a deal. There's always a deal on the table. So he really knows how to do it. That's one of his main characteristics. And that's why uh, even when the moment he won, several leaders from the right that were supporting Bolsonaro, they were already warming up to him because they know they are going to get something. They know that he's someone who can dialogue with everyone. This is not always good when you consider that he uh, gives up on a lot of his promises, he goes back on a lot of things he said. So he's not exactly the most trustworthy guy when it comes to keep his word, but he will try to at least accommodate different positions and different opinions. I'm going to come back to that because I do have a question to do with um, Brazil's domestic um, kind of demographic as well. Now you've mentioned how he um, knows how to tap into different support bases. Um, in terms of the Middle East, I have a very specific question to do with Israel and Palestine. And what we can see, just like the other areas, Bolsonaro and Lula are kind of at like the opposite spectrums. So with Bolsonaro, he was a very vocal supporter of Israel. He even wanted to move the Brazilian embassy to Jerusalem, even though that didn't end up being executed. And then you have Lula on the other hand, who, when he was in office, he recognised Palestine as an independent state. And he want, that's what he envisions for an independent Palestinian state to be besides Israel living in peace. And a lot of people who were following the elections said, if Lula wins, Palestine wins too. Could you tell us what they mean by that? Well, um... As you, as you mentioned, Lula recognized Palestine as a state. Lula kept very good relations with Palestine, also because his party, the Workers' Party, has historical ties with, with Palestinian movements, with the PLO and etc. Uh, like, as I said, he's part of the old left that has always been uh, uh, close to Palestine. Uh, and obviously, he winning, uh, with him winning, uh, anything that happens, any attacks of Israel against Gaza, any attacks done, any attempts to call for Israel to take over Jerusalem and etc. Brazil is going to say something. It's going to vote for Palestine in the in the in the UN. It's going to back Palestinian initiatives. But curiously, at the same time, he has always been kind of a good friend to Israel. At this. He never had any big issues with Israel. Uh, obviously, not as Bolsonaro, who went to Israel a few times. Uh, some of his first visits was, were to Israel. Uh, he tried, as you mentioned, to change the embassy, but it, he didn't. Uh, in the end, he didn't. I'm not really sure why. Probably pressure from the US and other countries, and etc. But 
Lula has a history, as I mentioned, to be friends with everyone. So in one hand, he will try to back Palestinian initiatives and try to, to stay behind human rights and etc. But he's not going to be an enemy to Israel. Uh, he's going to keep good relations because Brazil has a lot of commerce, uh, commercial relations to Israel. Uh, he, the only thing is that different from Bolsonaro, his alignment, let's say his friendship with Israel is not based on ideology, it's based on interests. In the case of Bolsonaro, it was based on some evangelical and fanatical religious uh, alignment. And also because obviously the international far right is always cozy to, 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 to Israel. But Lula will probably will try, as he did before, to break deals, to define agreements and to discuss ways to have solutions for the region. But always he, he he's always he's always uh, balancing to Palestine to the Palestinian side. I'm very glad you mentioned human rights. Because what I find is some of the criticism that comes towards Lula is that they say, okay, he advocates for democracy. And, you know, he often criticised Bolsonaro um, for his own rhetoric um, against certain races or sexualities, etc., just driving hate. So, of course, some people say, how can Lula defend human rights in Palestine but side with dictatorships elsewhere? So this is kind of the criticism that comes globally. Is this something his own opponents or Brazilian society says in Brazil? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, there's interest. Obviously, Brazil has interests, like in Cuba, for instance, uh, uh, the Workers' Party. They were building a large uh, port in the in the country. Uh, there's there's uh, commercial interests all over Latin America. Also, in the terms of Brazilian exerting power, regional power, becoming a leader in the region. So this means talking to everyone. But there's all obviously ideology. Uh, Lula Workers' Party, they are very quick to condemn anything, any human rights abuse that comes from the US, comes from the EU, but obviously when it comes to ideologically aligned countries like Venezuela, Cuba, because they're left-wing, they try to say, oh, that's not, that's not how the media is portraying, or they had to do that because of other things. So they always try to find a way to legitimize uh, human rights abuses when it comes to ideologically aligned countries. This is a very, yeah, this is this is something that even in Brazil we had to deal uh, when it comes also to internal politics. When especially Dilma, which was Lula's successor, she sent the army to occupy favelas. For instance, she created an anti-terrorism law. There were huge demonstrations in 2013 in Brazil, uh, demanding better services, better public services, and, and against the World Cup that, that took place a year later in 2014. And there was a lot of violence. The Workers' Party supported police violence, but everything was based on ideology. If it's against my government, it's against my interests, it's against what I think it's right for the people, then violence is, is okay. And the same thing goes for foreign policy. If it's Cuba, it's Venezuela, it is okay because they've been oppressed by the US. Uh, they're surrounded by enemies. So there's always a kind of a kind of excuse. So yeah, human rights is always valid when it's against your enemies. That's an interesting way to look at it with the ideological aspect. You mentioned, I want to go back to this. It's not to do with foreign affairs, but I think it would be interesting for listeners. You mentioned the um, evangelicals who are Bolsonaro's main support base. And so going forward from now under Lula, do you think there's any way he could maybe sway them? 
or is it near impossible because a lot of it is grounded in moral issues? Well, he did it before. Uh, the the one of the period periods where they grew the most was during his government. He was really close to several of evangelical leaders that then sided with Bolsonaro, and a few of them have already uh, spoken out that oh they're going to try to dialogue, they're going to try to talk to Lula, etc. So let's the, the the leadership they're more interested in money and keeping good relations with the government than actually ideology or religion. The thing is, obviously, how to reach out to, this, to, to the, the faithful, to those who actually believe in them. And this is going to be really tough. But as I mentioned before, Lula is a showman. Lula is a guy who knows how to talk to everyone. So he will definitely try to, cause, to, to, to get cozier, to get closer to, to these more conservative evangelicals. Uh, if he's going to succeed, obviously, we don't know. I think that he will probably be able to, to reach a, a lot of them, but not everyone. He's going to have a lot of troubles with some of the most fanatical ones, uh, but he's probably going to be able to dialogue a bit more with the leadership. I know we are short on time, so I just have two more questions. And again, going back to Inside Brazil, are, during the in electoral campaigns, a lot of news reporters and analysts reported that it's very polarised inside Brazil. Now the elections are out and the results are out, is that the same reality on the ground or has that claim been exaggerated a bit? No, definitely. Uh, you have even today uh, thousands of supporters of Bolsonaro occupying roads in Brazil. Uh, truck drivers and frankly let's just say lunatics with Brazilian flags saying that the election was frauded uh, like happened in the US it's quite similar by the way Bolsonaro and Trump were allies and their supporters are very similar when they they believe in everything like fake news all over especially using telegram and whatsapp that the Supreme Court judge uh, stole the election like Alexandre de Moraes which is a guy that the far right hates because he's the one tackling fake news and 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 suspending profiles on twitter and social media of supporters of bolsonaro so uh there's a lot of anger in the streets the country's really divided and one of the biggest challenges lula will have once he takes office is actually to try to uh to bring these two sides of the country together and that was actually one part of his speech when when he was elected is that he's there to try to unite the country again he won't succeed for the most part because you have a huge portion of brazil who's quite radicalized violent uh even killing people on the streets so yeah, that's even when he was elected, there, there was one case of a guy who shot four people and killed one. They were celebrating Lula's victory and the guy was a supporter of Bolsonaro. So yeah, cases of people showing guns to Lula supporters in the streets while they were celebrating. So the country is highly divided. Lula's going to try his best. He's going to succeed to some extent, but he's probably going to fail for the most part. Bolsonaro uh, came out of these elections uh, as really a leader of the far right and with a lot of power in his hands. To, to, with a large following base in Brazil. So we're going to have some, some very difficult four years with Lula, especially because the economy is not that great. And this international scenario is not the same. We have post-pandemic scenario. We have a war in Ukraine. And it's not the same thing when Lula took office that the economy was actually way better. So he had some room to do a lot, to spend money, to invest, and et cetera. And that actually brings me to my next question. So like you mentioned, 
uh, the situation globally, domestically was way different when he was last in office. When he was last in office, people described him as an internationalist and that's what kind of Bolsonaro used to criticize him as well. And then they categorized Bolsonaro as more of a nationalist, just like Trump when Trump said America first, you know? Um, but now the situation is different and the economy's in tatters. Do you think he's still looking to be that internationalist figure or would we see a bit more flexibility? He's probably going to be internationalist to the I mean, until he can't anymore. I mean, because as I mentioned before, he will have to choose sides at some point. Uh, with like, there's a BRICS and there's Ukraine. You cannot be friends with everyone at the same time at the same level. He will have to choose. Uh, the situation, international situation now, is way worse than it was before when he took office. Especially again, the war in Ukraine and Russia. The EU taking a huge stance against China. The US trying uh, to get. Far, as far away as China as possible. So again, comes the BRICS, Brazil and China very close allies. So how he's going to deal with this tension, US, EU, China, Ukraine, Russia. So it's going to be a bit more difficult for him, even in Africa, that he had great relations with Africa, but at the same time, you have the tension US, China and EU in Africa. So he will try to be as more internationalist as possible because this is how this is who he is. Uh, he's a showman. He likes to go to the center stage internationally and talk to everyone, but he's going to be more limited, definitely. And we have to wait to see who's going to be the chancellor because this is going to be his most important decision in this area. Celso Amorino was, was his chancellor before, and he he's, he's a master in international scenario. He was, a, uh, frankly, a genius when it comes to international relations. He was capable to talk to everyone and break deals, and we don't know who's going to be the chancellor now. So this is going to be a very important decision to, to, to pay attention in the next few months because this is going to be like decisive to how it's going to be his, his foreign policy. Well, thank you for giving us the lowdown on that. It seems like there's a lot to watch out for um, and especially what you've just mentioned. Um, I don't know if it's called the love triangle, whatever it is between US, Russia and China. Thank you so much for joining us today. And can you just let our listeners know on where they can connect with you? Yeah, uh, I mean, if you go on Twitter, Savko is my handle. And pretty much if you Google my surname, I'm everywhere <laughs> on the internet because I'm the only one with this name. So <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll put uh, Mr. Gracia's details in the description box below. Thank you for joining me, everyone. And I'll see you again next week.